Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Amanda Bible Williams, and I'm sad to report that our other host, Rachel Myers, is not with us today. She's under the weather, but we have a great guest for you today. John Mark Comer is here for our third week of our ACT study. John Mark is the founding pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. He is executive director of a new nonprofit called Practicing the Way. He's a best-selling author. You may know his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I am very excited about his brand new book that just released a few weeks ago. It's called Live No Lies. How about that title? Live No Lies, Recognize and Resist the Three Enemies That Sabotage Your Peace. John Mark is a student of the Word. He's an apprentice of Jesus, and he brings so much value to this conversation as we read these chapters in the book of Acts and continue to look at what the early church looked like, how it grew, and what Jesus did, what the Holy Spirit does through His people and through the Capital C Church. I really think that you're going to be blessed by this episode, so let's get right to it. John Mark, welcome. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. It's so fun. We're in person this time, which we've—it's been almost a year since we're on the podcast with us, and we talked about—it was our faith and practice study about spiritual practice mm-hmm. practices and spiritual disciplines, and that was just right up your alley. And I feel like this, to the study of the Book of Acts— and the early church. We're just thrilled. Thank you for your time. No, I'm happy. It's, uh, you know, I do a lot of podcasts for uh, when I have a book come out, but I remember that very much. It was such, that was my first introduction to She Reads Truth. Oh, yay. And to you too. And I so enjoyed it. So when I was in Nashville, I reached out. I said, make sure you reach out to them. I'd love to have a uh, follow-up conversation. That was well, such a nice time. We are honored to have you. Well, we're recording this at a time where you just recently stepped away from your position as, what was your, it was senior pastor is what I want to say, but you had a better title than that. Yeah, we, <laughs> we called it Pastor for Teaching and Vision. And Vision. But yeah. at Bridgetown Church in Portland, which mm-hmm. you founded. Yeah, 18 years. 18 um, to, years. To the week. Uh, from, wow. Yeah. So your, your baby church became an adult. And yeah, then... it was fun. We literally, in my last couple of years, we bought we bought a building. Thank God, which is such God's generosity to us. Yeah, and that's exciting. Got to, to remodel it, and yeah. you know, go through a global pandemic in a city with riots. You know, just <laughs> cool, <that> nice bonding <laughs> kind of stuff to go out with a bang. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I love that your experience with the local church. Of course, you have much decades, right? Yeah. But I imagine that. You and your wife, Tammy, have probably learned new things as this is such a new season, like to transition out of that position as the head of this and the founder of this church family into something new. What is, I would love to just start this conversation in the book of Acts about asking you, like, what, it, what have you learned about the Capital C Church? In this, like as you have stepped away, like what about that has encouraged you or fired you up or surprised you? Yeah. I had a great phone conversation about a year ago with Pete Scazzaro, 
who's the author of Emotionally Healthy Church. I'm not sure if you follow his oh, no, work. but I like, I, I, I will now. Yeah, I mean, he's a guru and has his work has played such a, a key role in my life and mm-hmm. in our church. And uh, he went through a transition from the church that he founded to a number of years ago to starting a nonprofit on discipleship. So very similar kind of path, yeah, path yeah. to me. So I reached out, and he was kind enough to have a few conversations with me. And he, you know, he's from, you know, he's from New York. He's like just an Italian New Yorker, like just straight shooter. And he said, "John Mark, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. It will call up all of your emotional health. It will bring you, if you're not self-aware, it will absolutely self-implode. It will bring up your ego, your identity issues, your insecurity, your fear, your pride, your greed. It will be Philippians 2, taking the low road, emptying yourself, giving up power, losing control, getting rid of privilege. It will be the hardest thing you've ever done. You need to do it. <laughs> and, and it was exactly what he said. And just a short moment of hopefully not TMI, but some vulnerability <laughs> One of the, the most challenging things about passing off this church that we, you know, co-planted 18 years ago to a dear friend of mine is how well it's gone. Oh, wow. <laughs> Meaning 90% of me is thrilled uh-huh. that it's the church is thriving and they love the new lead pastor and he's, I think, genuinely going to lead it better than I ever did. And like the relationships are healthy and wonderful. But about 10% of me, my ego is like, uh, I, I want really to kind of like decline a little. I need you not, to miss me a little bit. I know. I, yeah. Not like fall off the map. Right, but, right. You know, enough where my ego feels just a little stoked. Like, you know, well, they don't have John Mark Comer anymore. Right. You know, right. And instead it's like, we love you. Bless you. We're going. <laughs> and um, so the scripture that I keep coming back to, and Acts is just as good of a reference point all through this process is Corinthians 3, mm. where Paul, you know, who we're about to read about, is reflecting on his time in Corinth. And then after he left, Apollos came in. And he has that beautiful line. It's actually where we get the language of church planting from. He says, I planted, what is Paul? What is Apollos? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Mm-hmm. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. I would say the number one thing I've learned is that what Paul said, what I've always quoted is actually true, that pastors yeah. are just servants. And yes. it's, e- it's easy to mouth that and not actually believe it if you're oh, a pastor yeah. and think this thing's actually riding on you or your gift or your whatever. Yeah. And I have come to realize, well, I'm really just a servant. Yeah. And this thing is doing just great without me. And it's really God that gave the increase. And if it wasn't me, it would have been somebody else. And what an honor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can relate to so much of that just in our... Role And I know I can speak for Rachel because we've talked about this lots and lots over the years, but just as stewards of a ministry in a community, like She Reads Truth, it's been so similar that it's just like, oh, this is very much not about me, and thank God (laughs) that it isn't. And that like as our team is growing and we actually are having, I can so relate to that kind of knock to the ego when it's like, oh, our team that we have worked so hard to build— now they function so beautifully that when we reinsert ourselves into a process that we've been out of, we're in the way. Yeah. And they do this better with, you know, so much of this, most of this, better without us even in the room or being present. And it's, but it's God's faithfulness to Bridgetown over the last 18 years is beautiful and is a story, you know, that you've been a part of. And that faithfulness is going to continue. Yeah. And it's just going to look differently. And the story was never about me. 
was never. There's you know, so much freedom in that. One chapter came to an end, a new one is beginning, and then the story was never about me. That's right. That's right. And I think just as humans, we just have to be reminded of that so often. And it's one of the freedoms that I find in reading scripture regularly. Yes. Is that it's a reminder that, oh, like this story of redemption is actually not about me. It's about God. I'm invited into it. Yeah. I mean, and gosh, it, the narratives that we just are bombarded mm-hmm. with from our own mind, much less oh, the yeah. messaging of the oh, culture. Oh, I'll make one up if I'm not listening to one. <laughs> yeah. And just that daily act of reading scripture. I mean, you're right. What a gift that is to just, no, that's not true. Here's the truth. That's Here's not the true. truth. Here's the truth. And just to transition right into what we're going to be reading today. I mean, we're in the third week of our Acts study. It's a six-week study, so we're kind of trucking through the book of Acts. And this is week three, and we're going to start in the middle of chapter nine this week. And I love this story because this is something, what you've just described, John Mark, is something that we see the disciples do really well in Acts, which is give credit where credit is due. Like, this is not about me. Like, this is Jesus who is healing, or this is Jesus' gospel. This is not of me. And so we've got here in Acts 9, starting in 32, we have a couple of really cool stories back to back. We always love to hear our guests read scripture. Are you you up for being a reader with me? It would be my honor for the listeners. It's 8 a.m. in Nashville and 6 a.m. in my body. So... (laughs) Okay, well, let's start with just um, 9, 32 through 35. As Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. It kills me how these stories are just like, it's almost in passing. Like, it's just, oh, we get, what, just just a few verses. A a paraplegic was just healed, and a whole bunch of people in the entire city came to faith in Jesus. Yeah. You know. No big deal. Just a Tuesday. Um, In three verses. Yeah, yeah. And so what I love here, you know, Peter says, Jesus Christ heals you. Mm. And that those who saw this, they didn't turn to Peter, they turned to the Lord. Mm. And so it makes me want to know the rest of this story, you know, like what all is happening, because whatever the disciples are doing here is they're spreading the gospel, and it is not theirs. It is Jesus' gospel. I love that so much. And we get to see this, you know, we read about in the Gospels, that Jesus came to bring life, and how specifically, like how that continues after He has ascended to heaven, that through His disciples, He goes on. Yeah, and that's the church, right? I mean, we are to be life givers yeah, what's life bringers. In, what's interesting about this story is there's the miraculous healing. Mm-hmm. So, so the ending is they turn to the Lord. Why? Well, there's the miraculous healing, but I think what would be easy to miss is before that, mm-hmm. the saints who lived in Lydda. So there's a community of people that yeah. have been living into sainthood, that have been growing and maturing into Christ-likeness, yep. or whatever language you want to put on that, who had been living as some kind of a witness to that city, and then the miraculous healing was the breakthrough, but it, it had context. You know, It had this 
long obedience in the same direction. I, I like to think about, you know, discipleship as kind of process moments and breakthrough moments. So there's the daily discipline of I just get up and read scripture and yep. I pray and I go to church on Sunday and I give this percentage of my income. I do these things. Yeah. It's very unfancy. Yes. Yeah. And then there's these breakthrough moments of like healing or breakthrough or, uh, you know, maybe I'm playing my hand here, but I'm a charismatic, <laughs> the Holy Spirit stuff, you know, yeah, and yeah. those two things work together so synergistically. Yeah. And the same with this story of Tabitha of Dorcas mm-hmm. and that we get information about her in this story. I mean, in verse 36, in Joppa, so this is moving to a different, mm-hmm. a different occurrence, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. The woman, the she who reads truth in me is so thankful to Luke for putting that it, that this is a disciple named Tabitha, also translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. About that time, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. And so they call the disciples, they call Peter to come and and help because Tabitha has died. But you get that same thing. She has a story. She didn't just appear out of nowhere. Like Tabitha had been. She has a witness. That's right. She has They're a witness. weeping and showing the robes and clothes that she yes. made while she was with them. That's so beautiful. And that she has been following Jesus. You yeah, know, and that then at she, the end, 42, this became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Yes. Same, same thing. Yep. Same yep. pattern. I love it so much. There's also this little nugget. Our reading for our Monday reading actually ends at 43, but 43 is is so worth pointing out. It says, Peter stayed for some time in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. And our team, I was talking about our team earlier, they are so good at just helping us point out nuggets and just like, oh, here's a really neat detail, like don't miss this. And just that he spent time with Simon, a leather tanner. So a man who is dealing in like dead animals and just how unclean that would be fundamentally for them. And we're going to see a lot of just this overhaul of the cultural Mm -hmm. norms all and around kosher laws. Yes, yeah. everywhere. I mean, scholars, don't they say that basically chapter 10 is the hinge point of the entire book? Yes. And without chapter 10, you and I would likely not be sitting here. That's right, because yeah. Because are you Jewish? I am not. Neither am I. Yeah. And yeah. so without without that little little hook line right there, a leather tanner, yep. which is your intro to the same story of the gospel moving from Jews to Jew plus Gentile. Yeah. Acts 10 and the story of Cornelius, first of all, it's wild. Yeah. Like the timing and just how how specifically the vision, God does this. The prophetic, I mean, goodness. It is, it's nuts in like the best way. Yeah, so tell us the story, John Mark. What, what's happening? Who's Cornelius? Well, Cornelius is a man in Caesarea, which is interesting. That was the Roman kind of imperial headquarters in Israel. So it was where kind of Israel was run by the... By the empire, and he's a centurion, which is a military position, over 100 Roman soldiers, in the Italian regiment. But we read in verse 2, he was a devout man, and he feared God along with his whole household. So likely there's a there's this category in the ancient world of the God-fearers who were not Jewish right. and did not like convert, not that you really even could, and keep kosher, but they had come to believe in the God of Israel, this idea of one true creator God. And he has this vision, and the vision is an angel, 
And the angel told him, Your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa. This is so specific to your point. And call for Simon, who's also named Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a (laughs) tanner, there it is, whose house is by the sea. And so he sends these soldiers to Peter with this, like, who literally doesn't know about Peter. It's not like he's been following Peter on Instagram, this, like, right, rising yeah. Christian celebrity with that yeah. interesting podcast. You know, it's like, who literally, this is out of a vision from an angel. The next day, verse 9, as these kind of messengers from Cornelius are nearing Joppa, Peter goes up for, like, an afternoon kind of prayer session on the top of the roof. But like you do, you know, he's hungry and distracted, and it says... <laughs> As they were making him food, he fell into a trance. Now, he has a vision. He saw heaven to open on an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. And it were all of the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky, which is that's unclean. So that means he's a Torah-observant Jew. He can't eat that. And then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, which... You think he would have learned from the first time with Jesus. You don't say that to Jesus. Remember Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. But he's still learning his lesson. But man, Uh that's encouraging. For I have never eaten anything impure and ritually unclean. Again, a second time the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. Mm. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up to heaven. So he wakes up, he's confused, he's bewildered. But I mean, if you're a Torah observant Jew, I mean, can you imagine? This is like a a moral issue, not just a, a, you know, we think of it as kind of an odd cultural, but this was a moral and theological, you know, commandment in his mind. And which had kept the gospel inside the boundaries of the Jewish people and had kind of not allowed it to spread beyond to people like you and me. So he's bewildered, and then there's a knock on the door, literally as he's contemplating this vision. Yeah, it says right away. And I love that it says, while Peter was deeply perplexed. There's so much... Man, I just, Peter's my guy. I like. Because I feel deeply perplexed all the time. All the time. I feel hungry when I'm praying all the time and distracted and. All the time. And like, and I say, no, Lord. Yeah. I, no. (laughs) I I either don't understand what you're saying or I do and I say no. And I I, I say, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, Oh, I love the humanity of scripture. Me too. Me too. The honesty of God, you know, and the biblical writers. Agreed. And it says, while Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, right away, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions, they didn't know where they were going, to Simon's house, stood at the gate, and they called out, asking if Simon, who was named Peter, was lodging there. And then the Spirit tells him, hey, there are three men here looking for you. That, by the way, is interesting, you know, because there's an insight there into how the Spirit of God Mm. interacts with us. Like, this is not a vision. He's not in a trance here, or this is not a dream, or in a trance. Like, this is just, I would imagine he hears something in his mind that he interprets to be the Holy Spirit saying, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. I mean, maybe there's like some With audible no voice. doubts at all. But that's not what it's saying here. There's the Spirit told him. I, I can't help but wonder if he's just living such a prayerful life. His yeah. experience of prayer is not just talking to God, but listening to God. And he's able to just hear the voice of God in his mind's eye. I'll have my TMI vulnerable moment. The notion of that both deeply comforts me 
Because I feel like if I think back, especially in intense moments, you know, where either I'm so troubled or circumstances are so dire that I'm not sitting with my Bible open. I'm weeping. I'm in despair. I'm, you know, working through whatever. So I'm in the hospital with a child. Like it's that kind of thing. And that's specifically what I'm thinking of where the comfort of the Holy Spirit or the voice of the Holy Spirit, it just, it feels like, okay, that has to be you, Lord, because I can't conjure that right now. Like I can't conjure truth up right now on my own. But there's also the side of me where I'm like, this is terrifying to me (laughs) because specifically when other people say, God told me this. And I'm like, oh man, I just don't know how to feel right now. And I think that, you know, I don't know if as a pastor, you ever have someone sitting in your office going, ah, this makes me uncomfortable, but it does. It makes me, I'm, I'm in your office right now telling you, this makes me uncomfortable, but I don't want it to make me uncomfortable. I want to trust the Lord. I want to say yes, Lord. I don't want to say no, Lord. Yeah. Well, some of it, don't you think, is coming at it with humility. Like we always kind of pastor and coach people to kind of never say, God told me. Yeah. Though I do think that God, I mean, in my theological rubric, I believe that the Spirit of God has direct access to our mind, our imagination, our heart, and our body. Yeah. And that his voice comes to us in our inner woman, our inner man. Mm-hmm. And God doesn't need to speak to us audibly because you think about what is speech. Speech is a way to direct the mind of another. So this is really creepy, but I'm controlling your mind right now because you right now are thinking about the words that are coming. Right, right, mouth. yeah. You know, yeah. and if, if I droned on, I'm sure I would lose I would you start and to, you would yeah. start to drift. But, you know, when you talk, you direct the mind and imagination of another person. So we don't need to hear the audible voice of God because the Spirit has direct access to our mind and our imagination. Mm. Jesus has the whole thing, my sheep know my voice and follow yeah. me. So there's yeah. there's a tuning that is a part of discipleship. I think one of the, the first and most important tasks of a disciple of Jesus is learning to discern the voice of God coming mm. to them. And that's often learning to discern between our thoughts. What thoughts are just my thoughts? What thoughts are my mom from my family of origin harping on me? Or a TV show I watch, what thoughts are satanic? Mm. Um, Or I have like even like a dark spiritual energy behind them. Mm -hmm. And then what thoughts are Jesus coming to me Mm -hmm. by the Spirit? Yeah, And it's sometimes it's a jumble, but I think the longer you follow Jesus, the more you're able to kind of discern that, that the Spirit of God, you know, Dallas Willard's book, Hearing God, which is the best thing I've ever read on a theology and Mm. practice of hearing the voice of God. But we always coach people to carry that with a lot of humility. Yeah, that's good. Because, you know, when we say people say, God told me, Sometimes that's just cover for they want to sin and Uh they don't want any accountability or they've made a decision and they just don't want you to speak into it. Well, Mm -hmm. God told me I got to do this. (laughs) Well, because it's it's like the ace, you know, like you just play it and you're like, and I went. Who's going to argue with that? Like, well, I don't think you should do that. But God told me, what? Doesn't seem wise. So a lot of people throw that card and it's such a turnoff because people use it either as a license to sin or a license to make decisions without input. Yeah. So there's just a humility. So we'll often just say like, I have this sense, this thought came into my mind, what I think the Spirit has put on my heart and is saying to me is this. Because that's a posture. That's not just semantics. That's a posture that you're taking. No, it's a a, a epistemological humility. (laughs) You know, like it's just a, I think I'm hearing God, but I'm 80%, not 100%, so help me here. Right. And I mean, it's no secret that 
we at your truth are passionate about being in the word and being in the word of God every day is the only way that I <laughs> have been able to learn and understand and know and be reminded of what is true. Like I'm yes. so grateful for that for the gift of having the word written down that we can read and be reminded and remind each other and the local church. You know, the red flags start raising pretty quickly when you're doing Christianity, <laughs> like when you're walking the way of Jesus by yourself. So here we have Peter says the Spirit told him, go listen to these guys and trust them, right? Trust what they're about to tell you. So I interrupted your story with my question about hearing the Holy Spirit. Hey, I'm just but, <laughs> drinking coffee and following your lead. <laughs> but then what? How? here's where we get this moment, right? Where Peter, so Peter listens and goes back with them to Cornelius and Cornelius, of course, was expecting them because the Lord has orchestrated this so specifically. And there's this little nugget in 25, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter, because Cornelius doesn't know what's happening. Like, right. he's just doing what he's told, right? This and, is the man that the angel said yeah, to call for. So I should probably worship him. But Peter says, Peter lifted him up and said, stand up, I myself am also a man. That can preach on its own there for a while. While talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. Peter said to them, you know it's forbidden. I love this, by the way. Just as somebody that does some guest speaking once mm -hmm. in a while, this is basically starting your sermon with an insult. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. In other words, you guys. <laughs> Based on race. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh. Yes. But... God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So, may I ask why you sent oh for me? Oh my gosh, <laughs> no tact at all. <laughs> you know, I can't call you impure or mm -hmm. unclean, mm -hmm. so what do you want? So what is it? Why am I here? Wow, but I, I don't think we understand yeah. the gravity of this moment, you know, and the, the way in which the Jewish faith and Jewish ethnic identity were enmeshed. And, you know, because we're not Jewish. And so yeah. it's easy for us to forget that Jesus was yeah. a Jewish rabbi and a Jewish Messiah for the world. I mean, this moment, we would not be here without that paragraph. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Hey friends, we want to take a moment to tell you about an exciting new show that's being produced by KO Films called The Covenant. The Covenant is a series that will lead us through the Old Testament stories of patriarchs and prophets, saints and sinners. It's going to depict lived experiences of characters from the Old Testament like Daniel and Esther and Abraham and Ruth. And it's going to show God's connection to these people in ancient times so that we can better see his connection to us today. And something that we are really, really excited about is that KO Films has committed to making the covenant in such a way that it is faithful to the biblical text, which you know is super important to us. 
This series is being crowdfunded, which means that you actually have an opportunity to help get this funded. And I think that we would all agree that we could use more shows that we can sit down with our family, our friends, and watch and feel good about what we're seeing and shows that lead us toward a relationship with God. That is what The Covenant is about, helping people reconnect to God. For more information about The Covenant, visit kotv.com slash truth. That's C-A-Y-O-T-V dot com slash truth. Hey friends, as we're studying the book of Acts, we're reminded of how the Holy Spirit empowers us to carry the gospel throughout the world. This book is such a natural and powerful prelude to our next study called One Another. It's a biblical study of Christian community. Y'all, living in Christian community is much often easier said than done. So during this two-week Bible reading plan, we're going to discover how we can cultivate community that pursues things like love and unity and service and correction and humility and encouragement. Y'all, starting November 15th, we're going to look at the one another statements in Scripture like love one another, honor one another, carry one another's burdens, and live in harmony with one another. We're really excited to get into this study and ask how it informs the way we live with other believers, with one another. So y'all, as usual, Amanda and I will be with you on Mondays of this study, and we'll have guests, and we'll talk about the One Another reading plan. But if you want to get a study book, this is your chance to get that in time for the study to start on November 15th. So head over to shopshereadstruth.com, and a little discount if you use code ONEANOTHER, that's O-N-E, ANOTHER, you can get 10% off the study book for that plan. Y'all, we're so excited about that reading plan in November, but for now, let's get back to the show. So Cornelius tells him, well, here's what happened. And so I did. This is what I was told to do. And so I did it. In verse 34, Peter began to speak. And I love this in the CSB, which is the version of the Bible we're reading from, that the heading of this section of scripture is good news for Gentiles. (laughs) So it's like good news for the rest of us, right? Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation... In every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place in Judea, beginning from Galilee, the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did, yet they killed him. I'm starting to paraphrase a little bit. And then God raised him. This is rich. Oh, my gosh. Verse 40, God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us, whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. That's not us. That's Jesus. We're not the judge of the living and the dead. That's Jesus. In verse 43, all the prophets testify about him, that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And then he proceeds to baptize them. 
Does he baptize them? Oh, you missed things. The Holy Spirit came down. Oh, sorry. And they all start speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Again, in two verses. No big deal. Yeah, you know. And then he's like, I I guess we should baptize them. We probably should. Yeah. Yeah, Because they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, end quote. Yes. And then here... Those who were Jews in the like verse 45, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had, had been, been poured, poured out, out. Even on the Gentiles. Even on the Gentiles. They have no category for this. Right. Yeah. This you, was very unexpected. You know, back up in verse 36, he sent the message to the Israelites, mm-hmm. the Jewish people, proclaiming yes. the good news of peace through Jesus Christ in context. That peace isn't just like, oh, I have so much anxiety and now I'm calmer. That right. peace is racial reconciliation. Yes. He's talking about peace between Jew and Gentile, where there'd been enmity and violence and tension between these ethnic groups. Now, through Jesus, the good news is good news of peace, that God is making a new Jew plus Gentile that is multicultural, multi-ethnic, global, yes. historic, a new humanity. Yeah. And we're starting to understand, the disciples are starting to understand what the angel said at the nativity. (laughs) Like, I bring good news of great joy for For all all people. people. Yes. And you hear that and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, great. All people. I've been hearing that since I was a kid at Christmas time. Yeah. All people in air quotes. That's radical. Yeah, yeah. By all people, I mean my people. That's right. That's right. Yeah. But no, truly all people. So this moment being the hinge, and then they go on and they have to defend this because this is not a comfortable... Oh, um, yeah. Then Peter is in trouble for some some sneaky activity with the Gentiles up there. Yeah. In chapter 11, it says that you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So they're not even... They're they're going back to the beginning here like, what were you even doing there? The criticism isn't even that all these Gentile people came to faith in Jesus. Like, how could you... They're not even there. They're just, you ate with Gentiles? Yes. So I want to talk about that for a minute, John Mark, because... We, we've already established that um, the Bible is not about us, it's about God, <laughs> and it's the redemption story. But it is applicable to our, our real life, right? Like, that's what you spend your days doing is, is like, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Yes. And what does this look like right now for me today? Um, in my in my right now life in this in this city that I live, the friends that I have, the family that I'm in, yeah, like how in does my this real like, everyday life, right? And so we know that scripture is applicable. It tells us it is. I mean, there is the one to one comparison of we definitely do this with race, where we you know we have divisions and tension where it should not be, and where the gospel mm-hmm. brings peace. But are there other ways that we kind of label or categorize and get in the way of the gospel? Because if the gospel is good news for all people, like what are some of the things that you see us, the church with a capital C, where are we in dangerous territory where we're actually standing in the way where God would say, no, no. Yeah. Get out of the way. Yeah. Because even that guilt by association, that's a thing right now. Yes. Just we're terrified to be associated. Like, I'm sitting across the room from you. Well, if, you know, if tomorrow I do something really scandalous and a, a photo of the two of us doing a podcast together surfaces, not only am I 
ousted, you could be too because you're just in the room with me. Yes. But that's not the way Jesus worked. Like, that's not how he lived. Yeah. I yeah. don't know where the question was in that. But no, you I just mean, go. Yeah, what are other, is, the question I'm hearing are the narrative of the story is about the gospel moving beyond just Jew to Jew plus Gentile. And so there's this direct application of racial reconciliation. Yeah. yeah. And how mm-hmm. our experience of following Jesus in community must be multi ethnic at some level. Now, not all of us live in a diverse neighborhood or city or whatever, sure. but our tables should look like the community of Jesus. Like the kingdom. And they should not just look like us and our peers and our demographic and our ethnicity to whatever degree is possible wherever we live, where it's going to be a lot easier if you live in like a, you know, a, a global city sure. than if you live in, you know, small town, middle America, where it's ethnically homogenous. Mm-hmm. But even there, maybe it's socioeconomically homogenous. So there's that basic kind of mm-hmm. operating principle. The other major example that comes to mind where there's massive division in our country beyond the racial division would be political division. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, um, I understand that politics matter, and I'm going to do my very best to make it so you don't have any idea what I even think about politics. But here's a very strong opinion. There is no political party in the United States of America that comes even close to capturing the wholeness of Jesus' vision of yeah, life in the kingdom of God. Fair. So um, political idolatry in this country is unreal. Yeah. And, because, and I'm not saying politics don't matter. I'm sure. Saying, no, I'm not hearing that. Yeah. But yeah. man, the, the political idolatry and the way it divides the church is yeah. demonic. And, you know, we all have lots of different identities, Sure. And, you know, I'm a man, I'm an American, I'm a white person, I'm a Portlander, I'm an urbanite, mm-hmm. I'm a Christian, I'm a... Coffee part, drinker. I'm a coffee drinker, <laughs> I'm a, you know, whatever, literary type of yeah. person, I'm an author, I won't tell you who I voted for, but I'm, a, I'm these things. Mm-hmm. So the problem becomes when some of these lower level identities get elevated yeah. to yeah. the point of idolatry. Yeah. And it's not that they don't... You know, it's that Augustine in the fourth century said the problem isn't that we love, it's that we love the wrong things or we love the right <laughs> things in the wrong order. Yep, yep. So it's not bad to love your job, but if all of a sudden you love your job more than you love your teenage daughter, that's mm-hmm. idolatry and is going to destroy that relationship. It's not bad to love your daughter, but if all of a sudden you love your daughter more than you love God, or then you're going to parent her in such a way that uh-huh. is destructive to her, you know? So yeah. it's not like it's bad to have an identity as I'm a... I'm a Tennessean, or I'm yeah. a whatever, or I'm a Republican, or I'm a... It's when these things get elevated... Right, yep. ...to where they're actually, like, our, our, where we're getting our sense of self from. Right. Um, and our tell... That, that, is, yeah. that is, I think, a demonic lie. And the, the good news and the bad news here is that <laughs> we're talking about ourselves. Like, we all have this Everybody tendency. does this. this is, we yeah. all do this. We just do it in different ways. That's right. Everybody does yeah. this. And so that's clearly bad news. But also, I have at times in my life felt like surely I'm the exception to God's grace in this area <laughs> or in, in a specific area or like in that is just that's unbelief. That struggle with this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's you know that's unbelief and even that it's like we all struggle with that. I mean, we're not going to get through the whole week right now and that's you know that's okay that's not the goal, but oh, these stories are mind-blowing. I mean, first of all, we have there's some real persecution going on. I mean, in Acts 12, James is martyred. Yeah. And just, you know, these devastating things that are happening. 
and the gospel. Peter um, is put in prison. Peter is imprisoned, and just the gospel is being very fervently opposed mm-hmm. from many directions. And so I think that's good for us to remember. But this story of when Peter is rescued by an angel from prison is just remarkable. I mean, he's been he's been guarded by I don't, I don't do math, but I think it's sixteen soldiers. An angel of the Lord just comes in and walks him right out, and he goes to the place where the local church has been praying for him, and knocks on the door. <laughs> just knocks on the door, and and he doesn't even realize what's happening. And he does, you know, when he it says in verse eleven, when Peter came to himself, he said. Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. Verse 12, as soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, there where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door of the outer gate and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she didn't even open the gate. <laughs> but she ran in and <laughs> announced, that. isn't that great? Announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate, and there said, you're out of your mind. I'm not paraphrasing that. Verse 15 says, you're out of your mind, they told just, her. With, they're literally praying for this to happen. Right. And then it's answered, and they're like, no, no. that couldn't happen. They uh, don't even get up to go like, again, it's his angel. I love how honest the scripture isn't is. Isn't it great? And then verse 16, I love this image. Peter, however... Kept on knocking. <laughs> Poor guy. And when they opened He's... the door and saw him, they were amazed. And this, what he does in, in 17, motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. So he's testifying, right? Just like he testified about what happened at Cornelius's house. He's testifying about what happened and the Lord brought him out of prison. And he says to them, tell these things to James and the brothers, he said, and he left and went to another place. So he's like, he's got thing, he's got work to do. Yeah. Um, well, but, and he's also in hiding from the government. Yeah. Oh, that is that is what's happening. Yeah. You are I mean, correct. If you just escaped from prison, you I, would not go to the, play, the first place they would look. hang out at the church office. No, I, I, would, not. I would probably like go get a cabin for get out of town for a couple of weeks. This is true. Before we run out of time, John Mark, let's touch on chapter thirteen. This is the last chapter that we're going to read this week together, and. I love this chapter. Yeah, and it's kind of like the sending off, the mission work yes. proper. Kind begins. of what started at Cornelius' house yeah. is now, as a, almost an accidental miracle, is yeah. now going to become an intentional missionary endeavor. Yeah, I'd love for you to read just starting in one and listen to this this list of names. Like, this is already yeah. a pretty motley crew, right? So much here. Yeah. Okay, verse one. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets... And teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, some people think from what we would call Nigeria, Lucius of Cyrene, um, Cyrene, which is in North Africa, Menaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, this is hilarious, this is a Roman, and Saul. So okay, here we have a multi-ethnic, yeah. multi-political mm-hmm. group of of leaders in the church, of teachers and mm-hmm. prophets. So they are modeling. So we, we went from literally all Jews with bad interracial skills who don't even <laughs> want Gentiles in to now the leadership of this thriving church is multi-ethnic and multicultural. Verse two, and this isn't happening over weeks. This is happening over several years. Mm-hmm. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, wow, the Holy Spirit said, 
set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, two of the five, for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. And then the rest of the chapter is their mm-hmm. kind of what you know we call their first missionary journey. It's not called that in the text, but their first right. kind of trek through the Mediterranean world to preach the gospel of Jesus and plant new churches. Yeah. But I mean, again, so here you have this theme of peace between ethnic groups um, and this kind of multi-ethnic family of God that mm-hmm. is the church. And then you have this theme of hearing, like more and more I'm thinking of just like reading scripture through what what my friend Tim Mackey calls the design patterns. What are these mm-hmm. motifs or literary themes that just weave their way through yeah, and just yeah. you know, repeat and repeat and repeat and yeah. repeat? Like, pay attention to that. And here's this theme of these leaders in the church and these people of God hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit, giving them direction, not just giving them like a warm, emotional feeling of comfort right. when they're stressed. Not warm which, fuzzies. Which is great. Yeah. No, no, that's that's good. But like actually saying, no, go here and do this. That's right. Because And then four. following it. Yeah. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. And it was noticed, it's not like as they're driving in their car and checking Instagram at the stoplight. It's <laughs> as they're worshiping the Lord and fasting. Yeah, yeah. So they just, they are basking and marinating in God's mm-hmm. presence. They are literally fasting to hone their ability to discern God's voice. Yeah. And God is speaking to them. I mean, gosh, there's so much I think we can learn here. I agree. It's almost like I'm thinking of like terms of like a weather forecast. It's like the conditions are favorable for, and that's why, I mean, we could go back and and if we had time, talk about what we talked about in January about spiritual practices yes. and creating space that's to right. hear God's voice. That's right. Not just with your mind, but fasting is with your body. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. And friends, just keep keep reading. Yeah. I love the the end of this chapter. I think might be a good bit for us to read as we close. But you're still just you know Paul and Barnabas are out there in this passage. They're in Antioch. You know, they're you're speaking to crowds. There's this moment around verse 46 where Paul and Barnabas say, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. He's talking to the Jewish people. Since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles for wow. this is what the Lord has commanded to us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Goodness. Like that is, I mean, that's what I want for us, for the church. Like I want us to stop navel gazing (laughs) and start inviting in because those that we invite in who we are them right like we are the outsiders in this story right and how many more are there that to have the opportunity to rejoice and at the word of the lord this good news that is for all people it's just remarkable and we're just going to keep going y'all just keep reading acts is I mean, just baseline on the criteria of a good story is such a good story. <laughs> it's such a good read. John Mark, it is always a delight. It's my honor to join you. I love what you guys are doing. Oh, uh, well, likewise. Um, something we like to do at the end of our podcast episodes, if we have taken an hour and we have looked for the beauty, goodness, and truth of Scripture. It's everywhere, right? (laughs) And um, it's a joyful task. But we like to ask our guest, where in just your your life right now are you seeing 
beauty, goodness, and truth that points you to Jesus? I think, you know, I'm in a kind of very transition moment in my life after pastoring a church for 18 years, about to go on a six-month sabbatical to heal and rest and discern the next step, and then I'm starting a new nonprofit. And so I'm, I'm not a nostalgic person by personality, but right now there's a lot of just kind of thinking back over the last almost two decades of our church life together. And I'm just seeing so much goodness, beauty, and truth, and just God's fidelity and goodness to us. And, you know, as you look, kind of look back on your life, in the middle, it's so easy to have your mind kind of set on the negative, on the problems that you're mm-hmm. solving for. But as I look back, I mean, gosh, there's lots of suffering through the road. Yeah, yeah. People keep asking, how are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling all sorts of things, <laughs> as you can imagine. But the dominant emotion I'm feeling is gratitude. Oh, that's a good. And place to be. Um, I think sometimes mm-hmm. that when we look back on God's hand on us and in our life over a long period of time, we can't help but just engender gratitude. Yeah. Oh, that's good, and it's a good, it's a good thing to fight for, even in those moments when it is tough. You know, when you're not in that space, but it's it's nice to recognize that space when you're in it, and it's, it's encouraging, I think, to those of us who aren't in a place like that to be like, yeah, you really can. There really are these moments where you can look back. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us, friends. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for reading scripture, everybody. Oh, yes. Well, friends, come back next week. Heather Thompson Day will be our guest for week four. So until next time, John Mark, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bibles. Bibles.